Since the dawn of cinema, horror has always had a prominent place in film going. In the earliest films of Georges Méliès in the 1890s, there were scenes of devils and aliens from other planets. In the 1910s, there was the early attempts by Thomas Edison to adapt Frankenstein. In the 1920s, F.W. Murnau terrified audiences with the gothic horror Nosferatu. In the 1930s, Universal Studios claimed uh, the classic monsters of cinema with Dracula, Frankenstein, The Wolfman, The Invisible Man, and The Phantom of the Opera. In the 50s, we had hammer horror in Britain come on the scene with their updated full-color bloody takes on Dracula and Frankenstein. In the 60s and 50s as well, in America, it was mostly science fiction horror. Large ants, aliens from other outer space, until 1968 with Night of the Living Dead. The 70s was considered a golden period for horror, and with the rise of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Exorcist, and Halloween. The 80s brought us The Shining and the slasher wave of movies and the creature features reborn. The 2000s brought us the extreme torture films of Saw, Hostel, Martyrs, We're and... We're just skipping over the 90s? We're going to get back to the 90s. Okay. <laughs> Currently, we are in an era of elevated horror. Although I don't like that term because it seems to indicate that horror was never yeah. elevated to begin with. It's, it's a stupid term to begin with because mm -hmm. uh, people are like, oh, this is elevated horror. It's, it's basically a, a, a buzz term by PR people who are like, how do we get horror to appeal to, uh, to you mm -hmm. know, uh, urbane kind of audiences, uh, affluent mm -hmm. audiences? Let's, let's say it's elevated. Well, horror was always elevated. Yeah. It was always dealing with well, um, complex ideas. Mm -hmm. And like there were other terms before elevated horror. There was death wave, if you guys remember that. Not or really, no. post-horror, which oh, was wow. labeled at films like Ghost Story and It Follows. Just meaningless terms. Yeah, just exactly. It's it just horror. It it's, was... like, it's like post-metal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's like it's like how they called Science of the Lambs wasn't a horror film. It was a psychological thriller. Oh, uh, yeah. So it was, as it was Seven. Mm -hmm. And all those movies that followed. It's, yeah. it's best psychological thriller since Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. But this whole elevated horror thing, it's mm -hmm. definitely catering to the people you know what? This isn't a horror movie. This is a horror film. Yes, exactly. And we say pish posh to that garbage. This one's in black and white. Exactly. But that leaves us with the odd period, the odd decade out, the 90s. By 1989, the slasher wave had ended. And the creature features had retreated to direct-to-video and lower budgets. So what could lead us through the 90s? A whole bunch of weird crap. And that's where we're starting with Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Ooh. Here's a movie that you never see. The map of some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles. There'll be tears. You won't watch a movie for about 8 billion years. It's time for death. I'm Phil. Hey, I'm Kit. I'm Graham. Welcome back to Death by Video. Um, so just so you guys know, we are doing 90s horror for Halloween this year. So, uh, second take on Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday. <laughs> no, there will be no Jason Goes to Hell the Final Freddy's Friday. Freddy's Dead, the Final Nightmare. 
Well, you guessed one of the, the movies we're going to be watching. Dang it! You can just bleep that out. No, 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 it's fine. You could, you could do you could do the fifth one. I think that came out in nineteen. That was nineteen ninety. But we're going with we're going with like la- later than nineteen ninety because nineteen child nineteen ninety is still there's still lingering moments from the eighties. So like because there were a bunch of films, I'm like, oh, I can include this. Like I I want to include the Night of the Living Dead nineteen ninety remake. But I'm like, nah. Like all those films were made in nineteen eighty nine. It doesn't count. Snap! Right? There's like Doctor Giggles up in yeah, the nineties. I know. So I really wanted to focus on movies that were like when the nineties was really the nineties. Raising Kane. So Halloween six. So the movies we're gonna watch are Halloween six: The Curse of Michael Myers. I'm not Ooh, sure what you're watching tonight. Uh, I'm gonna leave it up to you guys. Do you want to watch the theatrical cut or the producer's cut? Producer's cut. I've never seen the. Producer's the producer's cut, cut makes sense. The I've theatrical never, does not. I've never seen either cut. So. Um, and it's also it's interesting because it's the first Halloween film produced by the Weinstein Company or by Merrimax at the time, Bob Weinstein and Harvey Weinstein. Oh, it was Dimension, right? It was yeah. Dimension through through Merrimax, but they really wanted it. Um, it's Paul Rudd's first movie. Hey hey. Um, they, but didn't it come out after Clueless? But, no, but shot I think before Clueless. I think because Clueless came out in the f- summer of summer 95. 95. Yeah, yeah, and this came out. This actually came out um, 24 years ago yesterday. Okay, um, so yeah. So, so today please. is September 30th. By the way, Smart Move releasing uh, a movie called Halloween at the start of October. Yeah, the Weinstein's would mm, stop, cease that process and only put them out. Anniversary. Yeah. Yeah, they um, put them up at the end of summer, this, which but, is... But, or like July, in, in the case of Halloween H2O and Halloween Resurrection. Just stupid. Yeah, don't do that. Um, so yeah, so we're going to watch that. We're going to watch next week is going to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Um, and we're also going to watch uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. And some other 90s movie, which I'm still figuring out right now. So we'll figure that out. Child's Play 3. <laughs> yeah, we, could do, we could do that. The Army we could, one. We could see. Or Bride of Chucky. We'll oh, yeah. See. oh, yeah. Bride of Chucky was 98. Yeah. Brah. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think this was back when Paul Rudd was still billed as Paul, Paul Stephen, Stephen Rudd. Rudd. Yes, yes, it was. Oh, Christ. We could do uh, Leprechaun Back to the Hood. That was that early on? I think that was early on. Yeah, you're right. Back you're right. to the Hood was Leprechaun in the Hood. Was okay. Was uh, no, sorry, in the Hood because it was Back to the Hood. Or we could do the original Leprechaun. Like they all came out in the nineties. Uh, Three Lepre- friends, Jennifer. Leprechaun was eighty nine, I think. Oh damn! No, no, that was, it was early ninety. 90s. It was okay. early in the early nineties. All right, all right, all right. But I want to do like I want to do something like totally late nineties original. So I was thinking maybe Urban Legend or. I still know, or I know what you did last summer. I don't know. Like I don't the post scream stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something to be represented. Meta horror. Yes, the meta horror, because that was the big shift. Yeah. Um, and so, guys, before we dive into Halloween Six: The Curse of Michael Myers, aka Halloween Six Six Six, have you guys seen anything interesting since we last recorded? I can think of two off the top of my head. And those um, are. I finally watched American Gigolo on the Criterion hmm. Channel. And it a Richard Gere movie? Yeah, yep. it was the one that ah. put him on the map. And mm-hmm. it was one of the first uh, Hollywood movies to feature full frontal male nudity. So Yes, mm-hmm. I remember watching that on Showcase as a young lad where it said explicit nudity and sexuality. And I'm like, oh boy. Yeah. And then it was just and Richard Gere. And then you realized you were going to see Richard Le- <laughs> Gere's lad. Yeah. But I have seen most of American mm-hmm. Gigolo because of that. It also featured the Blondie song Call Me on the soundtrack, yeah, I think. Yeah, what's funny about the song Call Me is that Georgia mm-hmm. Moroder did the score. But yeah. All the instrumental score, it's Marauder's variations on the Call Me melody. Yeah, I know. I actually have the soundtrack on vinyl. Yeah, it's a good soundtrack. It's solid. Um, never seen the never seen the film, but I have the soundtrack. Yeah, I I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Um, there's the there's the pic- spoilerish alert. Um, 
the last 10 minutes of the movie, it's a very blatant homage to Brisson's Pickpocket. Ooh, I like Pickpocket. Yeah, so do I. It, it kind of, it doesn't quite work, but also kind of works. It's, there's kind of a charm to that. And I also watched as, uh, I'm jumping the gun a bit, mm -hmm. uh, but it's sort of pre-game for, yeah. uh, this, the, the upcoming Safdie Brothers joint, uh, Uncut Gems. So Ooh, I watched, what watch? uh, I watched uh, Heaven Knows What. I haven't seen that film. I think the only film of theirs I've seen was... Um, Good Time? Good Time, yeah. Yeah. I really liked Heaven I really, Knows I, I got to rewatch Good Time because I think I, I, didn't know, I didn't know what I was expecting the first time. Yeah, I'm, uh, I really liked Good Time. I have the DVD out from the library, so I'm going to rewatch that sometime nice. this week, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, Heaven Knows What, it's... Um, so it's basically the true story of um, a street addict... Yeah. And this was a woman who was, young woman who was panhandling that the Safties met randomly. Oh, and then crazy. she's basically playing herself, her fit. Hmm. And there are a couple of other um, non actors in the movie who are very effective. Like, they found they met like some drug dealer, and he plays a drug dealer in the movie as well. So interesting. Yeah. Very fascinating. Uh, what's the term? Vermicillitude? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's the, yeah, absolutely. That's the term. That's cool. That. Uh, so, uh, Kit, what have you seen? Anything since we last recorded that uh, interested you, or kind of? Uh, really, only one film that comes mm -hmm. to mind. Uh, doing a one of those kind of lazy Sunday Netflix um, watches, just yeah. like what's on. What'd you watch? That uh, darn cat? No, <laughs> no. I ended up watching Logan Lucky, and I liked it. It's a, here's I like what it I, it's a solid three out of five stars, but a solid mm -hmm. three stars. Yeah, it's got a great cast. I'd say it'd be three point five. Um, you, you could, you might be mm. able to convince me, but right now I'm yeah. sitting at three stars. Okay, it's uh, it's got a fun cast. Um, you could cut out the Seth MacFarlane character altogether, and I think it might be a better movie. And I don't think anybody would notice <laughs> that he was gone because this character mm -hmm. is useless and just kind of annoying. It's like, can we have Seth MacFarlane mm -hmm. try his serviceable British accent out? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, let's do that. By the way, uh, Stephen, uh, it just got reviewed. I haven't read the interview yet, but Elliot Gould once asked Steven Soderbergh to do a sequel to The Long Goodbye. Oh, which, cool. if there was ever a combination of filmmaker and actor and project, that would be awesome. Because uh, who did The Long? Oh, that was uh, uh, Altman. Yeah, Altman did that. I was thinking, like, oh, it was that guy that did Clute, but no, that wasn't him. Elliot Gould and Soderbergh have worked together on uh, the, the Ocean's, Oceans films yeah. series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've only seen the first one of those. Oh, they're all they're all good. I like they're them all. all. Uh, no, you know what? The third one is kind of meh, but I like the second one quite a bit. Anyway, I like uh, I like this Soderbergh. I like he continues mm -hmm. to work well with Channing Tatum, for example. Yeah, really revitalizing that guy. Really guys. gets Channing Tatum. Ch Channing Tatum came from the Step Up movies and oh, has yeah. evolved into a, an actor that I'm interested in seeing mm -hmm. what he's doing. You know, it's always interesting though when he's in a uh, a lesser not a lesser director but like a different director's work. Like I recently watched Kingsman: The Golden the statesman oh yeah and I, I liked the first one but i was like that's that's yeah. enough i don't need to see another one the second one was was pleasantly good and kind of had a and weird they bring colin firth back from the dead for why they they explain it how that's, he they don't that's a yeah um but uh but uh it's contrived but, whatever but it is channing you don't tatum, need to explain it to me channing tatum plays one of their american counterparts the statesman and they like he's in it for like three scenes because like halfway through he has to get put into suspended animation but the film bizarrely be back the third i'm sure the film bizarrely becomes a a social satire on the war on drugs in america which i was not expecting 
Oh, that's interesting. That's an yeah. interesting direction. It's one of those things where I'm like, I'm watching, I'm like, this is kind of dumb. Then all of a sudden it's like, there's a talk of legalizing all drugs, but it's coming from big pharma and the president of the United States in the movie wants to, uh, basically like the, everyone who's ever used a drug is po- gets a poison of some kind in them. Cause there's one large corporation running all the illegal drugs who wants to make it legal and played by Julianne Moore. And the whole thought is that like, she says like, either legalize all drugs or I'm going to kill everyone that's ever used a drug that's not legal in their lives. And the president at first is like, well, we'll help you out. But then he's like, hey, 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 we'll just let all those those shitty drug users wow. die. I know. And it's a big quandary because she wants to legalize drugs so she can own the entire drug trade. It's almost like street trash. I know. It's very fascinating. It was a, it was something, it's like, that's why I'm kind of like, the movie kind of like, every now and then something will wake you up in the middle of something like you're watching something like da 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 and then it's like, we should smash capitalism. And you're like, oh, hello, what now? Um, <laughs> oh, we should yeah. smash capitalism. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. like, wow, you've got me there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, uh, was Obama not the president in the first movie and he dies at the end of that movie? Yeah, I can't recall, but like... Like the, everybody's brain explodes at the end of that one as I far as that. I can remember. That's great, right? <laughs> Including Obama's. A lot, lots of brains explode in that movie, but in this one, it's a fictionalized take on... He kind of feel I, I can't remember the actor's name, but he kind of feels like a sinister, more sinister version of George W. Bush. Okay. Who so. is already pretty sinister. I know. Exactly. Anyway, sorry, that's not the film I want to talk about. But back to your film, Logan Lucky. I really, I enjoyed Logan Lucky as well. I know, Phil, you're not a fan. No. A strong not a fan or just like, that eh, it didn't work for me? It didn't work for me. It's like, mm-hmm. I didn't like it and I've forgotten about it. Okay. It's okay. That's fine. Not offensive. It, it's um, just, it was like a, it's kind of an okay film. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It doesn't I, really say anything or yeah. stick in the brain too long, but uh, I enjoyed That's my good. time with it. I got a little teary-eyed when the little girl sang uh, uh, Country Roads. Oh, yeah, that's right. Instead of the Rihanna song she was going to Oh, do. my God. I also realized that Country Roads is sung in Kingsman, the Statesman, <laughs> the Kingsman it, 2 as well. Maybe that's Chaining Tatum's, uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call those? Um, Spirit song? Well, he has to has it. That's his uh, riser or whatever. It's rider. His, uh, his yeah. rider. Thank his you. Riser. His riser. I don't know higher. these showbiz terms. He's like, he's like a pro wrestler. And that's <laughs> like a... but, but my favorite thing is that in Kingsman, and I swear to God, this is not the only movie I've seen. Uh, it's uh, Mark Strong uh, using his Scottish accent for once, singing it um, as he's about he stepped onto a landmine and he basically lets, tells his friends like, "Go ahead, like I'll stay here and I'll distract them," and then he just starts singing because earlier on it's established that John Denver is his favorite singer. In his Scottish accent, he sings like "Country Roads" and it becomes this beautiful moment. Then he steps off the landmine and explodes. Almost heaven, West Virginia. Blue Ridge Mountain, Shenandoah River. Poppy, come in. Roger. Are you expecting another lawyer? There's a guy here, singing. Singing? Like a breeze, country road. Take me home to the place I belong. Bring him to me. West Virginia, Mountain Mama, take me home, country road. Poppy, we got a situation here. Country roads, take me home to the place I belong. West Virginia, Mountain Mama. Take me home, country 
that film. I kind of think I like that film a lot more than I than I think. Um, so, guys, uh, should I discuss some of the history of Halloween Six, or should we get right into the movie? I think we should get right into the movie. Okay, let's do it. All right, we'll be right back after Halloween Six: The Curse of Michael Myers. Every legend is based on fact. Every myth is grounded in truth. For 17 years, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois, has been haunted by a night when evil roamed the streets and a madman ruled the night. Everyone knows his name. Now, everyone will know the truth. I knew what he was, but I never knew why. Halloween Sits, the origin of Michael Myers. And that was Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, a.k.a. Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, a.k.a. Halloween 666. So we just watched the producer's cut, not the theatrical cut, which is a bit different. We watched a little bit of the start of the theatrical cut just to get a different tone. It's definitely much more 90s, brah. But, um, yeah, the producer's cut is um, it's like 95% exposition and 5% horror. Yeah, because there was a lot of plot to get through, whereas this one just sort of zipped it all together. Which I think is maybe the correct approach, if I'm being honest. Oof, strong words. (laughs) Strong words. So, the year is 1988. Halloween 4 gets released and does quite well at the box office. Then Halloween 5 came out in 1989 and did not so good. It was rushed into production to capitalize on Halloween 4's surprise success, actually. People were hungry after Halloween 3 where there was no Michael Myers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there's like six years just a drought of Michael Myers content. Mm -hmm. You know, like Jason and Freddy had to fill that void and... And they, they, can only, they can only cover so mm-hmm. much. I should point out that, like, even though Halloween has the highest pedigree of or like first movie, like everyone kind of acknowledges that Halloween, the nineteen seventy eight John Carpenter one, is a great film. Period. Like outside of horror, outside of everything else, it's it's known for being a great film. And then the sequels have a like a quite steep decline, uh, except for Part Three, which is quite good. And I'd argue that the the one from twenty eighteen um, Halloween. Yeah, H4O was yeah. quite good. Halloween 4 was fun. Um, but that's also because they hired, like, you know, 40 years of perspective, and they did really good. Although people were probably saying that about Halloween H2O back in 1998. Oh, yeah, no, they totally did. But, like, yeah. it's people hate on it now, but it was also, like, that postmodern, post-scream, because Kevin Williamson yeah. worked on Halloween H2O, and people were yeah, loving it. Yeah, he did it. a pass like, of the script. Oh, it's so it's a tongue-in-cheek approach to Halloween. I mm-hmm. love it. It's also very short. It's only, like, 70 minutes long. Something like that, yeah, and uh, it's funny because LL Cool J has a supporting part, and, you know, I guess he had a no-kill clause in his contract, and they yep. take that to uh, the fullest Deep extent. Between that Deep Lucy and Deep Lucy, die, yeah. 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 Yeah, he didn't die in Deep Lucy, I was just about mm-hmm. to say. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so basically, um, let's talk a little bit about production mind. So, Mustafa Akkad, who is the long-time... He also doesn't die on any given Sunday. No. No. There's a lot of money. Or That's toys, true. or uh, oh yeah, he's in toys. I mm-hmm. forgot. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. That's so a strange film. So, right, so, so strange after film. after the disappointment of uh, Halloween Five, Mustafa Akkad, like they were going to go into production on another like a Halloween Six, 
Um, uh, Halloween seven, you mean? Halloween six. Oh, right. Sorry, right. After, after, five. after after five tanked. Yeah, after five, it, 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 it did. It didn't tank because it did these, okay. these movies it, they they all make money. It just didn't do that well. And um, so Mustafa Akkad, like he is the original producer of the first Halloween movie back when it was called The Babysitter Murders. Um, he was the guy that kind of like found John Carpenter and Deborah Hill to like shape the film into the into Halloween that it became. Shape is that an intentional pun there? No, but it's a good one. I I didn't intend it, but that just happens sometimes. Um, so he basically, uh, him and his son Malik Akkad, they were kind of like the shepherds of the the Halloween franchise. They were the ones that kept it going even when no one else wanted to keep it going. So they're the ones that were like, we got to do part six. Um, and so basically they went to the Weinsteins. There were a bunch of legal battles that like didn't that delay the sequel, which is why it took like six years from 89 to, to 95 for it to come out. Merrimax picked up the rights via its Dimension Films division. And this is when we get into like the, the very 90s and Rob Zombie period of the Halloween films. So Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers was their first film. They wanted it to be like very modern, very different. I thought Crow was a dimension film. It was. I thought the first one. Okay. Sorry, I was saying it was their first Halloween film. Oh, now I get you. So they wanted it to be very different, very, very 90s. And yeah, well, like Natural Born Killers mm-hmm. was out when? Before. 94. Yeah, yeah, so just like it's heavily, you can see the influence in the at least in, the, in brief, the, um, the brief amount of the producers cut. cut yeah, because every yeah. it was the you know the stretched cinema that they yeah. that they did a lot and distortion, the flash cuts, black and white, different film stocks like industrial music in the background. Exactly, really thumping version of the Halloween theme. Um, but in the the producers cut, which we saw, it was actually Alan Horwith who worked with John Carpenter on Halloween Two, Halloween Season of the Witch Part. Th- that was the third one, which he did the entire soundtrack for, which is. A dynamite soundtrack. I actually think it's probably the best of the Halloween series. 100. Yeah. yeah, it's Five great. Five more days till Halloween, yo. Yeah. Hmm. Five more days till. Yeah, Halloween. that jingles yeah. the earworm, but mm-hmm. no, like just uh, Cherry to Pumpkins. That yeah. piece in the soundtrack is a banger. Wonderful, yeah. I also like the Halloween, the original Halloween two theme version. I think. Yeah, yeah, I've got the Halloween two. So I actually have like which Halloween soundtracks do they have? I've got I've got the new one because it's got some really good like modern John Carpenter songs on there. And, it, and I also have Halloween 2. I don't have Halloween 1 because it's very expensive. But the Halloween 2 soundtrack is... Alan Horvath's take on the Halloween soundtrack is amazing. Yeah, no, the Halloween 2 my mm. spicy take. I might like it even better than the, the original. I agree, because he made it a bit more gothic. Like, the original mm-hmm. one is yeah, very yeah. stark and, like, to the point. But, like, his his take on Halloween was much more much more gothic and haunting. You you, uh, you saw John Carpenter live, too. I did, I did indeed. Yes. A year, uh, was it a year ago or more now? Yeah, like, 90, yeah, 98, because, or sorry, 8, 2018, not 98. 2018, 98. Because it, it was celebrating 40 years of John Carpenter's scores, even though, like, he had done the score for Assault, Assault on Precinct 13 before then. Um, and probably some of Dark Star. But, um... Is it good that he, uh... Oh, yeah, it was a great show. Like, he lived up... Like, he clearly was thrilled that, like, at, you know, 60-something, he can... Or 68 be, like, out there touring with a synth rock band. Yeah, what was he playing? Just the synthesizer? He played, or yeah, the, he, like, he, the computer thing? Like, Chemical Brothers? Or No, no, no. He, he had a keyboard in front of him. Like, okay. he had a, and he had a full band with him. He had, like, a drummer, two guitar players, a bass player, and another synth. Beach ball. And, uh... <laughs> Did he? I don't know. No. I'm that up. <laughs> no, and it was super, super, super fun. He was really good. It's one of those things, like... It's a concert I went to, and I knew everybody there. Like, the entire... Dan- it was a sold-out show at the Danforth Music Hall. There was an awkward moment, though, when I ran into some friends of mine. I won't name them. And, um... they like, just out of curiosity, like, how much did you pay for your tickets? And I'm like, eh, 40 bucks. And then they kind of... Their eyes kind of went wide. 
and uh, oh, they didn't pay anything for and, their tickets. No, 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 no. They paid way, way oh, more. Oh, that's because they they bought it. Like I got it like right away when I heard like, oh, rotate this has Halloween tickets or John Carpenter tickets. Like I'm gonna be there right now. So I like raced them there on my bike and bought them right away. But it was it was a really great show. And when John Carpenter introduced the Halloween theme, he said, "Tonight is a night for love, and I believe in love." And I believe that some love will last forever. And then he kicked into the Halloween theme. Nice. Everybody in the house cried their eyes out. It was so wonderful and beautiful. Was it? Was he dressed up like a performer? or Was he just wearing? His... He had a, he had like a nice button down on. He okay, had some jeans, right. and he all like right. he he also danced. Like it was interesting watching him dance to the songs because he's a an old man like dancing while playing synths. And he It'd be funny if he was like out there in a Daft Punk helmet yeah. or something. <laughs> with the name John Carpenter just written on the front. Was this the first Lost Themes album or the second one? Because I remember he was talking about like, oh, this is my first time going on tour. So, music so during the the I think it was the second Lost Themes was when he actually did his biggest tour because his first tour was just like I think it was a couple shows in Norway and Iceland of all places right. and Los Angeles and mm-hmm. so like he did a tour for the second Lost Themes but that wasn't the tour I was on I was on the anthology tour that's what okay, I went to right, right. the anthology tour was him playing songs from all the films that he contri- he did the soundtracks for yes, right, right. And, which was awesome when he ripped into because they came out starting off to uh, what was it was it either Escape from New York or Assault on Precinct 13. Both great, great songs to, to play live. Um, they also played some Jack Nant. They played a Jack Nant song from um, from Starman. Oh, snap. Because he did not do the... Um, sorry, not Jack Nant. Jack Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Sorry, or Nietzsche? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he did not do the score to Starman. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it was really great. They threw on sunglasses when they did the theme "Today Live," um, <laughs> and uh, oh god, it was great did hearing. Did they play any Morricone from the thing? You mean those two notes that he did? No, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, no. They didn't do any Morricone from the thing. Um, but back to the film we did just watch. So essentially, we're left with. Um, so the the original producers of the film wanted to make a very very straight up. Halloween type film. Oh, speaking of the man, how how on board is John Carpenter with the franchise at this point? Is he? He's much more on board now than he was. So he in the '80s, after Part Three, um, he actually reached out initially to have someone write uh, how, the guy that novelized Halloween Two and Halloween Three. He reached out to him to uh, I forget the the author's name to write the scripts for the script for Halloween Four that John Carpenter was going to produce. And the script for Halloween Four, the original script, was actually interesting because it was in basically almost in a not really a Freddy Krueger way but a kind of like if you like the teens that are like obsessed with Michael Myers because you know he's dead because at the end of part two he died officially and then he came back in part four and then he came back in part seven and then he came back in part whatever um he's supernatural now yeah yeah, in this in this version in in five and six he's definitely supernatural then he becomes human again in part seven and eight as we do mm-hmm. sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you, you transcend and then descend. <laughs> um, but the script for part, part, the original script for part four that never got produced was much more cerebral and much more, so the whole idea is that it's the, the fear of Michael Myers brings back the terror. And I haven't read it. I've actually, like, located the script and I kind of want to give it a read just to see how crazy it could be. Because part four is, like, literally, he wakes up in an ambulance and then goes on a killing spree. And tracks down his niece, who is in the opening scenes of this film. Uh, she was played by Danielle Harris in part four and five. And in Halloween six, she is played by a totally different actress. Do J.C. Brandy as Jamie Lloyd. So J.C. Brandy, um, in the theatrical version, she's not in it very much. She gets killed off in the first, I think, 15 minutes or maybe 10 minutes of the film. Whereas in this one, 
She encounters Michael, escapes, he attacks her, and then she's on life support for a while. And that allows us to see a little bit of the backstory of how she gets impregnated. And it's even rumored that she's impregnated by Michael Myers himself, which he is. Apparently, they have frozen, somehow extracted DNA from Michael Myers. We should point out, so the movie starts out totally not like any other Halloween movie. We are in a gothic castle that is also a modern hospital. Like a modern hospital attached. Very strange. And there is a cult. Slash power plant. Slash power plant. Yeah, yeah, it's an industrial medieval castle (laughs) hospital. Yeah. And there is a cult of doctors and surgeons that are taking Jamie Lloyd, a.k.a. J.C. Brandy, Somewhere in scrubs, some wearing like cult robes. Yeah, like like weird druid robes. Yeah. Um, and she is pregnant and she gives birth to the grandnephew of Michael Myers. So this keeps the bloodline going. And the whole plot of the movie is that basically like once Michael Myers kills off his bloodline, he loses his power and then something happens. And whereas this cult wants to keep Michael around and control him or something. Again, it's very not even in both cuts of the movie, it's not entirely clear what's going on. They could have given us a family tree or something. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been handy. So, Michael Myers... So, basically, Jamie Lloyd escapes with her baby with the help of a, of a midwife, and then Michael Myers kills the midwife and goes after Jamie Lloyd. Um, she He pursues her into... Like, she runs away and goes into, like, a, a truck. There's a local drunk in a local, poncho. Local drunk drinking in a poncho, which yeah. would be a great, like, I don't know... Post-punk band name? Yeah, post-punk, shoegaze. Yeah. Something like that. And uh, at this point, she she drives a truck. 80s noise rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. And I know that fits actually pretty yeah. perfect. Let's do that. Okay. <laughs> so she drives away to a um, a uh, what you call it, like a a bus station that's kind of close for the night, but she still is able to get in and use the payphone. And she calls a radio station. Now at the same she's time, bleeding as well. She's bleeding. She? Yeah, yeah. She's walking around because she just gave birth. Just gave birth. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which leads to a very bizarre scene. It's also like her nose is bleeding too. Yeah, yeah, it's been a rough rough day. Um, So we are also introduced at this time to our characters, um, the mother who... So it's it's a confusing thing because they don't really explain who anyone is. But there's Kara Strode, who is, I guess, the cousin of Laurie Strode. Because her father is the brother of... Laurie Strode, that's Jamie Lee Curtis's adoptive father, so she's yes. like the cousin, and they are living in the Michael Myers house, not Cause, the cause, like, not the house where that Jamie Lloyd lived, or sorry, Laurie Strode lived in, but the house that uh, what should we call it? Michael Myers lived in the actual Myers house where he committed yeah. his crimes in 1963. As from as what a I child. understand, the uh, the father uh, owned the house and couldn't sell it, so they were just forced to live there. I guess. Yeah, exactly. they killed the real estate value of that. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, killed the real estate value. Murdered it. Um, So we were also introduced to... So basically we're introduced to her son, Danny Strode, played by Devin Gardner, who is receiving words from a mysterious man in black. The voice man. The voices. And this is drawn from the novelization of part one that said... It's actually kind of scary. This is like the scariest um, the movie gets, or the closest it approaches to actually being scary. It's just a weird voice in the shadows. Kill for me, Danny. Kill yeah. for me. Um, and so Danny is kind of being set up as being the next Michael Myers because he's living in the same bedroom that Michael Myers lived in in his house and he's hearing voices, which is a callback to the novelization of Halloween 1 where it is stated that Michael Myers' grandfather heard voices or something. Um, it skips a generation is the idea. I, yeah, I was kind of thrown off by that. I was sort of expecting a sort of Tommy Jarvis-like trajectory like 
Friday the Thirteenth Part Five style now. You mean part? Oh yeah, but no, that wouldn't happen. This movie is way too non. not I don't want to say nonsensical, but not, not straight. You can say nonsensical. Um, so we're also introduced to Tommy Doyle, who was a the child in the first Halloween, who is now played by Paul Rudd, or as he's credited here, Paul Stephen Rudd, where he is the local creepo that's like spying on, on Kara Wasn't Strode's. Wasn't he just credited as Paul Stephen Rudd in the? theatrical cut but not in the um, yeah he was credited yeah in the theatrical cut not the producer's cut, cut yeah. yeah yeah um but that's the that's how he wanted to be known at the time was paul stephen rudd um good old psr um <laughs> so he is creeping on kara strode like pretty hard like he's watching her through a camera with a long lens right into her bedroom as yeah, she like is she's as she's changing, changing yeah creepy and then they're all listening to including dr loomis a um shock jock radio star um, what's his name? We don't have a character here for you. A Howard Sternish. Uh... Howard Sternish, and actually, Howard Stern was initially approached to play the character of the shock jock, like Bill something. I think his name is and, Howie Stein. Yeah, and so he is. Um, he is basically saying like, "Oh, tomorrow night is Halloween, and for the first time in six years, they're going to celebrate Halloween in Haddonfield. So I'm going to go there and broadcast live from the home of the worst mass murderer in history, Michael Myers." Um, and so Tommy Doyle is listening to it, and so is Jamie Lloyd in the bus station where she's hiding out. She actually calls from the bus station. Actually, no. Tommy Doyle calls first. That's Paul Rudd's character. And he explains that many people think Myers is dead, but he's alive. And when they least suspect it, he'll come back for them. Paul Rudd is, is like, cranking up the creep factor in this in this movie. Like, I really don't know what his direction was as an actor in this. It's like he just watched Silence of the Lambs and was trying to do, like, some sort of distant imitation of Hannibal Lecter. It was yeah. weird, yeah. And he had a weird accent, too. I don't know. He's kind of like those... He's kind of like an archetypal slasher movie supporting character in a way. You know how, like, slasher movies, they'll play up, like, oh, we're going to play it up so, like, this person's the killer, but no, they're not. Except everyone knows he's not the killer, though, because, yeah, we, because that's, he, that's the trope. Yeah, because Michael Myers is out there at the same it's time. So over the top that, of course, the person's not the killer. Yeah, um, and so basically, after Paul Rudd calls in, we cut to Doctor Loomis, who's being visited by his friend Doctor Wynn, who was the head of whatever at Smith's Grove Sanitarium where Michael Myers was held, and he's visiting uh, Doctor Loomis, played by. Uh, Donald Pleasance in order to convince him, hey, you should take over as the head of Smith's Grove Sanitarium. And he's like, why are you listening to this shock jock? And Dr. Loomis is saying, like, because he's talking about Haddonfield. And then Jamie Lloyd calls in and explains that she is Michael Myers' niece and that he's after her baby. And then she hangs up. But not before Paul realizes that there was a an announcement over the PA system of a bus arriving from Pacific? Portland? He's, he's Some, clever enough. Yeah, he, he, tracks he puts it, it down, together. So, yeah. Yep. So anyways, the next day, um, the the Strode family is waking up. When we realize that Kara Strode's home situation, she's living with her mother and father, but her father is kind of a, well, he is a bad person. She is a single parent raising a baby. She is a mature student in university, getting her degree in psychology, I'm assuming, because there is a book on Freud and uh, some other psychological books in her room as she's trying to study, and she's trying to study at the, the breakfast table. She gets into an argument with her father, who says, like, we were just fine until you and your that little bastard came along. His own grandson he's calling a bastard. That's right. And then she gets up and says, hey, you can't call him that, and then he slaps her. He gives her a bloody nose. Mm-hmm. 
it's pretty it's it's pretty disturbing like it's it's the beginning of the rob zombie encroachment because like if you notice like for sure that's like this is very proto rob zombie because if you remember rob zombies halloween they're all dirt bags in that thing the worst people Yeah. yeah yeah he really likes his dirt bags um but uh Except, although I do have to like say... Like Rob Zombie without the profanity. Yeah, like Lords of Salem is actually uh, a really good Rob Zombie film. Okay. Uh, but, well, so anyways... I have seen that one yet. While all of this is going on, little Danny is hearing the voice of the man in black telling him, kill for him, Danny, kill for him. And then we notice that little Danny is protecting his mom by holding a knife at gut level to his grandfather. We also have that, like, uh, classic horror movie trope where like uh she goes over to his child drawings and there's like you know a crappy drawing of a plane because he's a kid and he doesn't know how to draw yet and uh there's also like i don't know some like murder death scene that he's drawn with his whole family yeah, yeah. yeah exactly everybody's like smashed face or something yeah. yeah yeah and also he's drawn drawn the symbol of the thorn yes which we don't realize its significance yet but we've seen yeah. it a few times mm-hmm and so anyways, at this point, uh, what happens next? So we meet her younger brother, who is also in college, um, and we meet his girlfriend, and they're heading He's all off. like, yo, gee, what's up? Yeah, That's yeah. literally, I think, his first Backwards thought. hat makes me an individual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is like peak mid-90s dude. Mm-hmm. He could have very much been in Clueless, I realize. Oh, no, yeah. He's totally like a Travis Birkenstock type. Yeah, like, uh, if you remember the, the, the All the Young Dudes montage from Clueless, yeah. it's like he could have totally been in there. Yeah, it's, he's dude's got flannel shirt over a hoodie. Yeah. Classic look. Big-ass white yeah, jeans as well. Big-ass white That's, jeans. Yeah. Probably the exhaust type. Yeah, yeah, give it, like, two more years, he'd be, like, in Jenko mode. Oh, God, Jenko. The big wide leg. Ugh. Listening to Korn. <laughs> no, he would have been out of university at the time. At that point, he would have been in the Dave Matthews band. Oh, God, he would have been. Oh, yeah, kicking hacky sack. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> bad singing and... Anyway, they're both wearing, like, acoustic guitar. Bright orange berry kicks ass. T-shirts, yeah, because... He's still listening to Stained, though, you know. Because yeah. Danny is going... So little Danny is going as his uncle, I guess. Uh, so they're wearing matching outfits because it's now Halloween. It's October thirty first, um, and then what happens next, guys? They go to school. They go to school. Um, the plot gets kind of muddy. Paul Rudd goes in too much plot, really. I mean, it's just... so Doctor Loomis go at, is brought to the site where they find Jamie Lloyd's body, and uh, Paul Rudd goes to the to the bus station and discovers a baby hidden in the bathroom. And that's it's like when a bathroom cabinet that he finds. Yeah. Baby. Oh yeah, because wow, we missed what's her face. Oh yeah, Jamie running Lloyd, away. Yeah, Jamie Lloyd hit her baby in in the the bathroom and ran into some abandoned factory or something where she's pursued by Michael Myers. She's pursued by Michael Myers, who's driving a car. Who, and they always explain like Michael Myers knows how to drive a car. He, he even he uses mm-hmm. turn signals. He exactly. checks his mirrors. Exactly. He's got he, a little seatbelt on there. You can see him exactly. Take it off. He's just click off. <laughs> like, Safety first, guys. Come on. I don't know who his instructor was. Yeah. Well, that's always that's always the thing. Like who in the first Halloween movie they literally say who taught him how to drive because someone brought up how would this guy know how to drive when they were shooting it and it's like just ask who taught him how to drive. This is a very um, good three point turn I saw him uh, throw in there. Yeah. So then, uh, so she abandons him and then he. Michael Myers thinks he killed Jamie Lloyd, but he only mortally wounded her. He stabs her with a, a whole kitchen knife, one of them big oh, kitchen yeah. knives. They like the cops pull it out of her, like, oh, this is what she was injured with, and she's <laughs> she's. Alive. And everyone's like, who could have done this? <laughs> I don't. Know, was it an industrial accident? That's, what I do think you think, Doctor Loomis? 
And he's just basically like, Michael Myers did this. Oh, that's malarkey. I don't know why they're all Barney Fife for some reason. Um, <laughs> they might as well be, honestly. Yeah. She clearly fell on this night. It's clear that the townsfolk, though, the, the teens they especially, they want to move on. A lot of the teens are like, mm -hmm. we're being held in fear by this myth of Michael Myers. But there is no boogeyman. Yeah, there's a whole boogeyman Spoiler alert, kind of. there is. Um, Characters keep on talking about the boogeyman, and oh, I'm not afraid of the boogeyman, and that is a recurring theme. Yeah. Oh, and there's like that dude who uh, wrecks the mm -hmm. signage of like the place up for sale. And there's like oh some yeah, they keep yeah, Michael like, Myers yeah, like kids always put up like a Michael Myers sign on the outside of that house because it is Michael Myers. They're living in the Myers house. Um, and you just see the pranksters and the old dudes just chasing them off. Mm -hmm. I just realized that this this movie kind of has the same plot as Footloose, where it's like we gotta have Halloween, man. Well, people died the last time there was Halloween. Not this time, man. And then people, and then died, people died. Yeah, exactly. It's like, guess what, Haddonfield? You're done. Although, um, not a terribly high body count. It's pretty high. There's one, Six. two, three, four, like eight to five, ten six, seven, eight, nine... I think, yeah, around nine. Okay. Yeah, like nine or ten, yeah. So one body like, every ten it's, minutes. It's pretty spaced out, the body yeah. count, but it's there's not, so it's, much plot that you forget yeah. how violent it is. I know. It's not like part four where he just murders an entire police station. Mm -hmm. A lot of that violence is off screen, though. It'll be like, yeah. ah, somebody like... Yeah, in the, in, the, blood in the theatrical cut, they went and added some more like on-screen mm -hmm. violence and, and, and murder. And like, it's, it's hard to say, but like the... I know you guys don't believe me, but the theatrical cut does make less sense. I, I feel like it might be better because of it. I believe you. I feel but like it, this tries to make too much sense. See, and here's it's like, the thing. That's not necessary. You guys Maybe have now just... watched the, the producer's cut, which explains everything. So when you watch the, the theatrical cut, which doesn't explain anything, you'll have that mental knowledge to fill in the gaps. So, so now I, I, can't, I will never know how I truly feel about the theatrical the, yeah, cut. Yeah, I know. Because I saw it the first time and I was like, what is going on? When I saw it when I was in high school, I was like, this makes no sense. What happened? Um... So then at this point, Tommy Doyle discovers the baby um, and takes him back into the city and he goes to a hospital to be like, there's something wrong with my baby. And the nurse is like, or the uh, the attendant at the hospital is like, what's wrong? And he's like, I don't know. I just need a doctor. And then he rushes off and the nurse calls for security. He's got that weird Chicago accent that he's well, he does, he does almost this, like he, It's almost like a 1930s, not quite mid-Atlantic, but like gothic accent. Something like, wrong with my baby there, guy. <laughs> He's not like Terrence and Philip, but it's more like, like there was a murder here once, a murder you might say. Yeah, it's yeah. A weird. It's almost transatlantic. Or yeah, like, it's almost transatlantic. Maybe he was like watching the Untouchables or something, mm -hmm, <laughs> something like that. Um, but uh, so he runs into Doctor Loomis, who he reminds like I'm the little boy that Michael Myers chased, and Doctor Loomis is like, all right, and it's like Michael Myers is like because Michael Myers, sorry, Doctor Loomis is at the hospital because Jamie Lloyd has been brought there because she is now mortally wounded, whereas in the theatrical cut she's just dead. She cut out the plot, but <laughs> <laughs> then we wouldn't have to worry about it. Then we're just all right. We moved on. Uh, anyways. So with um, she doesn't seem to add anything to the plot by being alive. She just she has a dream, I guess, and we find out a but, little bit about her past. But the whole thing. So the reason why she is alive, and that because Michael Myers doesn't initially go for the baby, right? So until she is killed off, that puts the baby next in line for Michael Myers' wrath. Whereas in the theatrical cut, he's just hanging out doing nothing for a while. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um. 
See, I can even after drinking a ten percent pumpkin imperial pumpkin ale, I can still uh, hold coherent thoughts. Um, where are we now? What happens next? Respect. <laughs> we are. Um, damn, where are we? Um, so he introduces the baby to to Doctor Loomis, and Doctor Loomis says, like, when when Jamie dies, it's called, that'll be the last of the Myers family. And he said, no, it won't. And he shows him the baby, and then Doctor Loomis is like, oh my god, it's a baby! And uh, Tommy Doyle has to get out of there because security is coming. And uh, then, um, well, the guy with the gun, uh, kind of the shadow man, yeah, the, kills uh, the, the voice. It's man. a little bit later, but we'll say that right now. Basically, okay. basically, like um, in Jamie Lloyd's head, we see flashbacks shot in really nice black and white film. Like you can tell they actually shot it in black and white film. They didn't just turn the film black and white. It's a little bit more gothic looking, where she's brought into this area. She's impregnated by Michael Myers, and then she's forced to give up the baby. There's all these cult members around. It's very spooky. Things are getting tense. Um, and then, uh, she kind of comes out of, we leave those flashbacks and we see that the man in black that was t- urging Danny to kill for him is holding a gun with a silencer to her head. She gets shot in the head and dies. And then that sets Michael Myers on the path for the baby. And the now, man in black was later revealed to be Dr. Wynn. To be Dr. Wynn, who is Old played Sam Loomis's best friend by the same actor who is also uh, Riker's dad in Star Trek The Next Generation. That is correct. For all you TNG fans out there. Mm-hmm. Kyle Riker, I believe. Yeah. Anyway. The man that fact. taught William Riker how to seduce the galaxy. Yeah. And they also do a weird like. Um, Oh, American I remember that. I remember that scene. Style yeah, yeah, yeah. Fight. yeah, that's really bizarre. Because I, I watched that episode like a year ago. I remember it's like that. They yeah. joust, but it's like some future joust with like with like hologram <laughs> yeah. batons or something. Yeah. So where are we now? Um. So what's her face was killed. Julie Stroud. Jamie Lloyd. Jamie Lloyd. Thank Julie. you. <laughs> <laughs> Making up names. Strode as well. Not even Stra- Stroud. Um, Lori Stroud. Um, oh, uh, the, the mother. Um, she, yes. Yeah. So, so basically. And she's such a quintessential 90s house mom. And so we would say that the mother of Kara Strode, who is kind of like the doting mother. Kind of looks like Elizabeth Warren. Who is kind of. And she was played by the girl from the original True Grit, right? Yeah. Is, uh, what's her name? Kim Darby? Kim Darby, yeah. Kim Darby, who, who was in the original uh, True Grit with John Wayne. She was the little girl that Haley Stanfeld played in the remake with uh, by the Coens. And so she is kind of like trying to keep her family together. And then eventually um, she tells her husband, I'm leaving and I'm taking the family with us. Because this is because Dr. Loomis goes to their house and says, like, you don't understand. You're in danger. You have to get out of here. Loomis is all over the place. He's just like, because he's seen this shit running around four times before. Like, literally, he's like, just five times before even five times. Because the sixth movie. Yeah, but the third but, one he but was But the third one he, yeah. Yeah, so never mind. Yeah, he was technically dead. He's seen this stuff four times before, and he's like, let's get out of he's here. He's technically dead in the third Now, let's, like, let's leave this stuff alone. Let's get out of Haddonfield. Let's stop the killing. But unfortunately, she's too late, because after she tells her husband, like, I'm leaving, that's when Michael Myers is at the house and kills her in broad daylight with an axe. Yep. Um, right and, around the laundry, where she's yeah. hanging up laundry. Exactly. And so then... The husband who is drinking on the job comes home in the dark. This is we're also jumping around timeline. Sh- shirt untucked and yeah. everything. Only one flap of it though, because yep. he's drunky McDrunkenstein. Classic. Classic. So he gets home, is like, oh, I guess there's no dinner. And then he realized she actually did leave. 
And then he's like, oh, the power's out. Well, I'll go down to the basement. The bold boogeyman's not going to get me. Unfortunately, Michael Myers is down there the and kills him. gets him. Yeah, gets uh, him. And he gets, gets electrocuted him. big time. Right. He stabs him through the gut into the uh, to the circuit box or whatever. That's right. We were trying to remember how he died. And I thought it was a head cr- a snap, but that was the, the drunk in the poncho. That's right. Yeah. Old, the town drunk in the poncho got, got the head snap. Um, That's the full uh, title for the album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So at this point, uh, oh, earlier in the day, basically after the mom died, before the dad died, um, Danny, in an homage to the first Halloween, Danny is leaving school with a pumpkin, and he runs into someone, and in the original movie, Tommy Doyle runs into Michael Myers in broad daylight and drops the 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 pumpkin and smashes it, but in this time, Danny runs into Tommy Doyle, and he drops the pumpkin and smashes it, and Tommy Doyle goes like, oh, I'm sorry, I've been there before. And then they kind of like... Hey. hey! Then Tommy Doyle goes back to the house with him, and that's when Kara Strode, the mother of Danny, shows up, and she's like, "Who is this man?" And then she realizes, "You're the peeping tom that was watching me in my underwear." And then yeah, my, Tommy Doyle like, is like, "But now I have a baby here with me, so you need to listen to me." <laughs> Forget about the peeping tom stuff. Let's move look, past look that. Look at this baby that I just stole. Yeah. <laughs> so then, where do we go from there? So then, uh, at that point, Tommy Doyle goes to. Uh, they they go to over to his place where he explains the whole runes thing, how there were runes made in he, Northern Europe. He explains it using BC, uh, computer graphics, the dopest, illest computer of 1994. It's 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 partial color, floppy di- drive disk only, yeah, no CD-ROM, decent graphics. Yeah, they, they could spin, spin the runes around. Very state of the art, like yeah. top of the line, like yeah. 1993. And they exp- it spins mm-hmm. around that graphics, like excellent screensaver. Yeah. But then uh, one time he's, he's making a point and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and he then he's like, button. and then this appeared. Click. And then, the, <laughs> and then it appears. The rune and comes up and spins around. <laughs> and it's the, the rune of the thorn, which was like the cursed one. But there are apparently positive runes that if come into contact with the rune of the thorn can counteract it as a force for good or something. I, I can see why they took the rune stuff out of the theatrical <laughs> movie. <laughs> it did kind of bog it down. But I loved it. I loved it because it was like the craziest thing. It was like, how do we explain why this guy keeps coming back year after year? It's runes. It's the druids. It's druids from 500 BC in Northern Europe. Is there any like history of this to back it up? No, we'll just make it up. The rune of the thorn. I love how committed they are to the thorn. Like, because mm-hmm. even in the producer's cut, you see the opening credits. The the A in yeah. Halloween is, is a thorn, thorn. Yeah, which they didn't do in the theatrical cut. Yeah, lame. Because lame. they took out all reference to this. Because thorn. they they yeah I know that's the thing. Like there could have been a really weird. Halloween 7 where it was all thorn all the time <laughs> but but they didn't Halloween 7 the thorn of Michael said Myers. they went H2O which <laughs> doesn't make any sense time. like H2O as a title doesn't make any sense oh it's 20 years later but it does, it's not water no. it's not hydrogen dioxide <laughs> it's just Halloween 20 or sorry dihydronot does he does, maybe does uh, Michael Myers get drowned is that how they defeat no. him oh, damn it. no Lori uh, it's just Halloween 20 this yeah. is just a very lazy title exactly it's the wine scenes at their finest um so where are we now so basically tommy explains it's all like this the, stuff the poster's even like a total scream rip off mm-hmm. i remember that yeah. yeah so at this point the halloween party is in full swing the shock jock shows up and it turns out that the main organizers of this party are kara strode's brother and her and his girlfriend and his girlfriend was there to basically like she's like we're gonna get the word out to the people that haddonfield will not be like I have our brains controlled by the authority. It's very much 90s, like, you're not going to control us anymore, man. The faculty. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're not going <laughs> to... Speaking of dimension films. Yeah. yeah. 
but but her whole message is like you know we're not going to be controlled by the man we're going to you know listen to pavement and not cut our hair man yeah dude um but the the actual shock track is kind of is kind of bored because he's like oh, i want this to be wild so he starts talking about like so how's your girlfriend in bed i bet she wears crotchless panties and box like a dog and um, then nobody like it's, and then, it's yeah it's everyone's kind of like shock everyone's kind of just like this is awkward and weird like we're here to like celebrate our town like getting over this terrible tragedy and he's and, like hey guy mind if I bang your girlfriend thanks, oh, how are you using like the Terrence and Philip voice that's so fun to do <laughs> it is it's like when you think of a douchebag you think of some guy being like I'm gonna take over the whole market guy um <laughs> basically Canadians as per uh Trey Parker and exactly Redstone. those assholes um so yeah, I said a tree parker and Matt Stone. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, that is objectively true. At this point, it's revealed to kind of reveal to the audience, but mostly revealed to uh, Kara Strode's brother, who's been living in that house. That this, she actually explains like you actually live in the Myers house, and everyone's like, "What?" And the shock jock is like, "Well, we're gonna go there." So we see the shock jock leave, and he's like talking on the phone, like, "I can't believe you sent me to this two bit cell phone on his cell phone, phone in 1995." Yeah. I wouldn't really call it a flip phone. It's more like it has like the the bottom the microphone flips out and it's got the antenna that he's got to pull out. It's quite big. Uh, it probably didn't fit into a pocket. It's not that big though. It's smaller than yeah. It's you not the, it's expect. not the Zach Morris phone. No, which was no. Yeah, but you still need one of those like side like belt pockets. Yeah, to you need a holster. It's like a, a Mulder and Scully phone. It's like one yeah. of their little cell phones. Yeah, big ass cell phones. So anyways, he's like, where's the van? So he jumps into the van, but it's the Smith's Grove Sanitarian van that Michael Myers has been driving since 1989. What an idiot. Of all the vans to pick. And then he insults Michael Myers in his town, and Michael Myers is just Calls like... Calls him a pussy. He's sitting in the back seat, and he's just like, well, I don't agree with this at all, and I take offense to your language, sir, and then yep. he stabs him. Then he cancels him. Mm-hmm. Basically, the film is just Michael Myers canceling. Yeah, people. it'd be awesome if Michael Myers was like the face of cancel culture. <laughs> um, Michael Myers is Twitter. Exactly. Just like, I'm going to kill you. You mean kill my career? No, I'm going to kill you. Um, that went dark. It's the tea, bitch. Uh, anyways, where are we now? So. Michael Myers is woke Michael Myers. Yeah. <laughs> that's Halloween. That's the next Halloween movie. He's back and he's woke. Um, <laughs> Actually, that'd be great. But uh, you know, like some stupid Adam Carolla slant would get put on that. Yeah, it'd be like. It's totally feminizing and ruining men. Anyways. Um, Triggered. <laughs> Anyways. A Netflix special. <laughs> Michael Myers, new Netflix special. Triggered. What's the deal with women these days? <laughs> so I don't know why I want Jerry Seinfeld. It's just him stabbing women. <laughs> no, 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 no. He'd be stabbing like men because oh, he's, he's stabbing woke. everybody. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. We're still on. It's uh, woke, woke Michael Myers. Woke Michael um, Myers. Anyways. I was going on <laughs> Triggered uh, Comedy Circuit, Michael Myers. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, where we so the brother and the sister go back to the house. Spot on Joe Rogan where he doesn't say yeah. anything. Just you just it's like <laughs> so Michael, do you believe that like feminists these days are getting out of control? You ever tried DMT, <laughs> Michael? <laughs> He's just there breathing silently in his mask, glaring at him. What's the matter, Michael? Cat got your tongue? Stab, stab, stab. Um, oh, that'd be good. So like <laughs> after some DMT. Yeah. So, uh... He's just holding it like Elon Musk style. Uh, yeah, we gotta do another Halloween. Oh. Where he just kills a bunch of these podcast hosts. 
He kills he podcast did, he hosts did kill in the new one. In the new one, that's true. <laughs> it's kind of great. Um, so, anyways, back to this movie. Don't kill us, though, Mike. No, we're the, the good ones. The brother of Kara Strode and his girlfriend, and I apologize, I don't remember their names. They say it like once, and then I never remember it again. They they go to they go back to the house where they fornicate in her bed. And which, I said, oh. Well, they can't do that because they're going to screen get rules, killed. Yeah. I didn't say screen rules. You're like, no, screen rules don't apply. And then they both but immediately I forget, get killed. I forgot this was a dimension joint <laughs> where they already had bought the script for Scream. And so it's like, oh, screen so rules have to off, apply. Yeah. They have to apply. So anyway, they both um, get murdered. We've got gratuitous uh, boobs. And you yeah. just know Harvey Weinstein was making a visit to He's set like, that day. What do you mean she's wearing clothing? This is a <laughs> Weinstein joint. Um, but still restrained for a slasher movie. It was though. pretty restrained. And it was kind of artful as well because in the foreground there were candles obscuring things for a little bit. So many candles in this movie. Yeah, I know. It was like a real fire hazard. The entire time I'm like, in Tommy Doyle's room where he's got all those books and papers, I'm like, if one of those candles... Because like... My apartment. It's the time of a uh, Charmed, though. People I know. were into candles. It was before Charmed. Charmed was, oh, was 90, started in 98. Uh. But the thing is, you got to remember, like, my apartment is very cluttered, like Tommy Doyle's room. If I had lit candles in here, shit would burn. Yeah. Um, that's why that I don't. Vintage Sisters of Mercy poster, gone. I know. Yeah, it's he right, also, right above the candles. Though, he I also think. had a poster for uh, the inventors from The American Friend, and he also had a peace sign on the side of his computer monitor. Because it was he the nineties, like bro. kill yuppie scum as like fridge magnet. I think it was die yuppie scum. That's you're yes, right. Die yeah. yuppie scum. I forgot it when people mm. hated yuppies. I still do. Um. Anyways, where were we? So, um, the the brother goes to get a shower. Michael kills him in the shower. It almost seemed like an homage to Halloween. Sorry, Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. It did, yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. He gets uh, killed in the shower. Well, he like he's like, oh, honey, can you hand mm-hmm. me the towel? And then it's Michael Myers, and that's where we see the mark of the thorn on Michael Myers' wrist. Oh my God, it's all coming together. Oh, we um, got a cool allusion to Phantom of the Opera somewhere along the line too. Oh, that's because the landlady uh, who Tommy rents the room from is watching the '20s version of the Phantom of the Opera yeah, the with version, Lon yeah. Chaney Senior, not Junior Senior, wow. on TV, and I pointed out like, oh. Silent films, they're public domain now. Pretty much all silent films are public domain yeah. at this point. Um, so, at this point, uh, Kara Strode like, looks through the, the camera and realizes, oh no, you're under... Uh, she calls her house and her brother's girlfriend picks up. And then as her gr- and an homage to the original Halloween, as the brother's girlfriend is talking to Kara on the phone, Michael Myers kills her from behind. Yep. And... At this point, he's all about the homage there, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Myers. He's, he's like, he's I gotta, getting, you know, I gotta give the he's fans getting what wistful. they want. He's coming up to on twenty years from his <laughs> stunning debut, and like, it's just like I've been away for a while. I gotta play some of the I hits. Gotta like, you know, I gotta play the hits for the fans, guys. It's the seventeenth anniversary of Halloween. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's we're getting, my old stuff, but with a new twist. You exactly. guys are gonna like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, I'm wearing for, for the nineties all rock. <laughs> exactly. He's not wearing a blue gym suit. He's wearing a gray one. Yeah, yeah. His mask isn't quite right, but he's trying. Yep. You know. Still better than part five or part four and part seven. God, the H2O mask. He looks like a Pokemon for most of the movie. <laughs> Watch it again. They actually had to go in and digitally change the mask in certain shots because it was so bad. Um, and that was 90, 90, not 98 digital effects. So it's pretty, pretty bad. Oof. Um, interesting fact. You know who directed uh, Halloween H2O? Steve Miner, who directed Friday the 13th part right. two and three and Lake Placid. And yeah, written by mm-hmm. Kevin Williamson yep. of Scream, of Scream and, and, and Dawson's, Dawson's Creek, Creek fame. Yeah. 
Michelle Williams is back when she still had long hair. Yeah, I'm a creaker, man. I love I love yeah. Dawson's Creek. I watched every episode. <laughs> yeah. Term, yeah. Yep. It's just a shame because they lost the rights to Paula Cole's I Don't Want to Wait. What? And How so does that happen? on the DVDs, it's like some other random instrumental song. That was the joke around I know. Dawson's Creek. That's they terrible. lost the rights. It's really, it's really, watching it in syndication was really rough for a couple seasons because they lose the rights to Paula Cole. Jeez, like, yeah. I guess Paula Cole was playing a hard, some serious hardball to that. I know she's like she had artistic integrity when she sold the song to that show initially. It was a it was a very artistic. If you go back and watch the pilot of Dawson's Creek, it's pretty darn. It's shot yeah. really really well. It's actually really good. Um, That's why I watched it because I was like high off a scream. Kevin Williams too. Yeah, exactly. It's got like all the dialogue, but without the killing, except mm-hmm. for their Halloween episodes were always good. If you ever if you remember the first Halloween episode, or maybe it was in the season two, the Halloween episode was actually scary. When they were, Vaguely. yeah, and then Dawson Larry winds up working as an assistant director, uh, an assistant to a director on a slasher film uh, in when everyone else is in university in the final season. Yeah, I sort of lost the plot during all the uh, the live I love st- triangle. I stuck with it till the bitter end when Busy okay, Phillips yeah. was a cast member. Oh wow! When yeah. Pacey grew a goatee. Oof. I was very, yeah. very, very, very annoyed at the end when Pacey wound up with Joey. Because I'm like, mm. it's... Oh, I forgot that that happened. It's called Dawson's Creek, not Pacey's Pond. Like, come on. <laughs> but that was so off and on, like, for almost the entire show, it seemed. Uh, <sighs> it was frustrating. But that's what happens when a show that you think, I'll get a one good yeah. season out of this, and then all of a sudden it lasts for six years. It started losing me sort of like after Michael Pitt left the show. Like, Oh, yeah. Just when he was abruptly he, disappeared. Yeah, because he had a movie career to go to. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> what happened to that movie career, Michael Pitt? It, it was going for a while. Yeah, it was going for a little while. I haven't seen him in anything since Boardwalk Empire. And he gets killed in season two of that. I don't remember. Was that before or after the remake of Funny Games? Because he's that in that. That was after, yeah. After. Okay. Yeah, I can remember. Anyways, back to Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Um, so at this point, they realize Danny is gone because Danny was called by the voice of the man in black downstairs. And where, when... Oh, uh, Dr. Loomis shows up at the house and they go downstairs to confront Dr. Wynn. And they're like, what happened? Because the baby disappears, right? Yeah, the baby disappears. And it turns out that the cult came to the house, stole the baby, and are taking Danny and Kara Strode, and all of a sudden... Because you, you keep on meeting these kindly old people like the... the, the yeah, the, the, the landlady. The, the landlady, mm-hmm. the nurse, and all of that, and it, it, it all, turns out they're all in on the plot. It turns out they're all in this... This thorn like cult. hot fuzz, essentially. Yeah. Oh my god, I never put it together. <laughs> the greater good. It's, I'm sure, I'm sure somewhere Edgar thing. Wright's going to listen to this podcast and be like, oh crap, I totally stole that. <laughs> like, yeah, just in his head, it's like, this is going to be the most genius thing ever. All these kindly old people are part of this cult. And then he realizes, oh god, I stole it from Halloween 6, the it's curse of Michael Halloween Myers. 6. He I'm, might have knowingly done it, though. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. Anyways, so it turns out that Dr. Wynn is actually the man in black. That was Loomis's friend. Um, and they knock out Loomis and Paul Rudd and then steal Danny the baby and 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 Carastro to go back to that gothic industrial hospital slash electrical plant. They're back at it, yeah, mm-hmm. wherever that is. With the long ass hallways. Yeah, it gets like the the hallways are kind of Kubrickian at the end. They're very long, they're very white, they're very sterile. And uh Paul Rudd and Dr. Loomis put it together like, oh my god. 
they took the baby and they must have gone to this place. We were drugged. So they go there. It turns out uh, Kara is strapped to a... Uh, he's a, also, wait, let me tell you about the runes, Dr. Loomis. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> turns out <laughs> Michael Myers and, and like, and Loomis knows exactly what he's talking about. Immediately. He's like, oh, yes. I totally get what you're saying. <laughs> Celtic runes, the Mark of the Thorn, it all makes sense. Oh, my God. <laughs> And uh, so Tom, uh, so he did. He did research on this uh, yeah. in medical school. I know. So Tommy Doyle and Doctor Loomis go to this. Uh, I think it's Smith's Grove Sanitarium, or the basement of it, and where they get into this like place. And Loomis goes to talk to Doctor Wynn and be like, "Are you out of your mind?" And Doctor Wynn is like, "You're taking over for me." And Loomis is like, "Never!" And then gets hit from behind by a druid. Um, Kara Strode is being like, uh, she is wearing like a, a ceremonial dress and is tied to a stone she's a, table. It turns, it's very uh, midsummery too. Yeah. She's like the May Queen all of a sudden. She's exactly. got like a, like a crown of flowers and stuff. But the and plan, like a, yeah. A pagan white dress. The plan is that they, this cult is trying to control Michael Myers and they need to have him to keep in power. And the only way he can keep in power is if he keeps having Pete family members to kill so they actually have frozen through frozen embryos they are going to impregnate Kara Strode so that she will give birth to more Myerses. Yeah, if you're having trouble following along at home, folks, don't worry. This is this is me. <laughs> like I saw this movie over 20 year like 20 years ago now. And I've like read up on it, and I've seen the producer's cut and the theatrical cut and recently. We just watched it. Yeah, and I'm figuring all this out. And so Tommy Doyle is just kind of like stuck in the in the. He sneaks in, follows a druid into this chamber, puts on a druid costume that just happens to be lying around, and then a holds spare. Spare. Somebody didn't. Sh- Al didn't yeah. show up. And then Michael Myers is actually going to go and kill the baby that was given birth to in the first scene. And Kara Strode is telling Michael, you don't have to do this, Michael. He's your family. You don't have to do this. But the cult is like, kill her, Mike. Kill him, Michael. Kill him. And then Tommy Doyle holds, like, goes, surprise, I'm actually here in a druid costume, holds a dagger up to <laughs> up to uh, Dr. Wynn's throat, and is like, let the baby go. And the doctor's like, let him go. And so they let him go. They rush out with the baby. They meet up with Loomis. And Loomis is like, um, I have to go back to get what is it? The baby, Danny, someone? No, he's like I have a I have a little business to oh, attend to. Oh no no no, to. no! That's that's further that's further oh, on. Okay. So when does Paul Rudd drop the stones? He does. I think on the way out. Oh right, because because oh yeah, because Michael Myers is coming and they're all trapped and Loomis comes out with his gun to shoot to let them go, and Paul Rudd is going to hold back Myers, so he holds him by putting the runes on the ground. These are the positive he, runes. He, 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 Michael Myers approaches Paul Rudd, grabs him, him by the neck, chokes him, but then Paul Rudd puts down the last rune and Michael Myers is powerless. Runes all along. Exactly. All he needed was, all it literally was, was literally the ancient European equivalent of Scrabble tablets. It, mm-hmm. Powerful, uh, very impactful. Obviously, yes. this means that uh, the Druids are their one true religion. I mean, what they believe in seems to be true mm-hmm. and valid. Um, so that changes everything. Yeah. Uh, lots to process. Lots like to I, like I, like I said after we watched Midsummer, I'm like, I can see why Christianity took off. Like, <laughs> I can totally see where it's like. So we don't have to like bash our father's brains in with a rock. No. No. No, you just have to follow these ten rules. Only if he wears, you know, like, the same fabrics. Yeah, or whatever. No, different fabrics in the Mm -hmm. same pants, then. 
then yes. Are you hard I on guess. that rule? No, not really. <laughs> I guess it also sort of explains why black metalers love uh, paganism so much. Exactly, because it's all it's metal, cat heads dude. and runes and, and symbols. Yeah, metal. Um, so, Paul Rudd and Dr. Loomis Although, escape. Although, to be fair, they also do love uh, Jesus bloody on the cross and stuff like that. Yeah, they keep throwing, the even Christ. though they're like, Ooh. yeah, like we worship pretty metal Odin well. and Thor and Loki. But we're still going to put Jesus on our album <laughs> cover. Um, I also just recently re- watched Lords of Chaos, the fictionalized you take. No, no. The, oh, yeah. So there's the documentary until the light takes us, and oh, then there's okay, the movie yeah. Lords of Chaos, which yeah. is a fun, a fun movie about black metal and murder. Um, With Rory Culkin. Rory Culkin, yeah, Culkin as uh, your Culkin brother. There are like ten Culkin. Yeah, there's Karen, brothers. Rory, and good well, Macaulay, old Macaulay, obviously Macaulay, who's got a pretty good podcast now, actually. Oh, good for him. Bunny ears. Um, okay, we got to wrap this up. It's getting late, and we've been talking for a long time. So, Paul Rudd gets into the truck. It gets into a. He has what like a jeep Danny? or something. They just kind of like they got him. They just got him. They got him. Yeah, he's good. Dangling plot thread. They just got him. Um, so Doctor Wynn approaches Michael Myers as Michael is like trapped in the ruins, and he's like. What are you doing, Michael? Blah, blah, blah. And then it cuts to Dr. Loomis being like, you guys go on. I have some business to take care of. There's a little business to attend to. And I hope that he just wanted to go back to town and see his like little shoe repair. <laughs> Apparently shop. he was a, a cobbler, which none of us <laughs> knew about. Um, but no, he goes back into the sanitarium. He goes back to confront Michael Myers. And he's Michael Myers is lying down in the circle of the runes. And Loomis is like, Michael, this ends now. And he takes off the mask. And it's Wynn. And Wynn's like, oh. Where'd Michael go? And then all of a sudden, the the symbol of the thorn appears on Dr. Loomis's hand. Makes no sense. And he goes, ah! He screams, he does, like a madman. And then we see someone dressed in, in the, 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 the man kind in black of the, outfit. The, the, what do you call the a fedora, voice man. A fedora and a black trench coat walking in silhouette. We see him a little bit in profile, and it's like, I guess that's Michael, Michael Myers. Walking away. Since we don't really know his face. Cut to credits. The end. Wonderful. <laughs> I know it's 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 such but like and again I have to point out like so in the the theatrical version they there's like 45 minutes of difference in it and in those differences like for one thing the runes get toned down quite a bit all like a lot of the rune they talk need, is, they is needed downplayed. To, they need to take the runes out. That's just Jamie uh, Jamie Lloyd dies really early and at the end which is fine, as opposed like, to but they still so Paul Rudd still talks talk tells everyone about the runes in the bedroom scene where he's like showing it on the computer okay, so it just makes him seem a little crazy it makes him seem nuts well they had to show off that those graphics i know and then basically how it's it like en- half the movie's budget how it ends <laughs> in the theatrical version is like paul rudd injects michael myers with a sedative and then hits him with a pipe that sounds great and that's and that's <laughs> like, there's no cleverness involved it's just no like, runes just pipe just sedative pipe to the face um, and that's the theatrical cut of Halloween 6. So obviously after this, it would go on to become, uh, not Halloween. It would become Halloween H2O, which would erase everything after part two when, uh, when, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis came back in. Then there was Halloween Resurrection in which Jamie Lee Curtis dies. And then they go to, it combined at the time, found footage and the internet oh with God, Michael Myers. Oh God, oh God, Did you never see, you never saw Resurrection? Did I never saw you? it either, but is it, is it set on a reality TV show? So what it is, is it's a live webcast Yeesh. where all the participants are wearing, and they're, it's, they're spending Halloween night in the Myers house on a show that is hosted by uh, Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks. That's right. Tyra Banks is the producer, Buster Rhymes is the star. 
And so in Halloween Resurrection, Buster Rhymes is running around in a Michael Myers costume scaring the kids. But then the real Michael Myers shows up because he just finished killing Jamie Lee Curtis and starts offing the kids for real. And there's a, a bizarre fight between Michael Myers and Buster Rhymes because Buster Rhymes is a big kung fu movie star in the film. And so he like starts going like, and like doing Got kicks and check. stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Does, I hope so. There's also a chainsaw scene. I remember it ending kind of well. Like I have the DVD here somewhere. I should really watch it again. Well, we were gonna have to watch it on the pod sometime. Mm-hmm. That sounds when like we a do good early two thousands horror. Um, and then of course, be interesting. After that, Is I got that movie like dot com. Remember that one? Fear dot com. Oh, I saw Fear dot com oh, in the theaters, <laughs> starring was it Stephen Dorf? Dorf? Yeah. Uh, Fear dot com. Oh man, back when we didn't know what the internet was gonna be. Um, <laughs> And then after that, of course, there was Rob Zombie's reboot in 2007, which was a remake and kind of just like expanded the Michael Myers mythology, which was the thing that was or not mythology. Lots just of ex- causal psychology. Yeah, yeah, just psychology. And like, that's the thing that was. And oh, it's speaking mm-hmm. of Rob Zombie, R.I.P. Sid Haig, who was also yes. in the Halloween Thank you. movies. Yes, he's in the Halloween. Yeah, the Halloween uh, remake. Um, yeah, Sid Haig passed away, of course. R.I.P. Everyone remembers him from the Rob Zombie movies, but he was also in uh, Foxy Brown. and yeah, a ton of uh, movies with um, uh, Pam, Pam Greer. Yes, yeah. he was in, I think, The Big Bird Cage or The Big Dollhouse, one of He's those in, prison, like, one early of episodes films. of Star Trek, too, as an exactly. alien. Exactly. Like, he was also, uh, he played the baby in Spider Baby. Uh, so he's right. been around for a while, and then he actually like disappeared in the 80s and 90s. And until Quentin Tarantino found him and put him in Jackie Brown. As a judge, yeah. And actually, him and Pam Grier co-starred in so many films when... And they didn't tell anyone that... Uh, they didn't tell Pam Grier that he was playing the judge. So when she walked in for the first time, she actually like burst into tears at the sight of him because she hadn't seen him in so long. And also, he was playing an authority figure, and usually she was the cop, and he was the... And uh, he was the, the thug, squirrely the, the thug, yeah. Guy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the love interest. Um, he did a lot of television. Oh, yeah, he did a lot. So you know MacGyver, mm-hmm. MacGyver, Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. yeah, he was he was a working actor. Like back then, people could be working actors. Um, Still got movies coming out that haven't been released yet. So yeah, there you go. I know he was in uh, Three from Hell, the new Rob Zombie film. Although, spoiler, he's also, alert, he, like Bill um, Mosley, he's done a lot of shit, he, shitty horror films. He the had last a decade. he had a uh, a Twilight career where he like and I like I don't mean Twilight like oh, the he's movie in the Forbidden Dance. Oh yeah, Lombard. Oh, wow. oh sorry, that's the Lombardo movie I don't own. That's the other Lombardo movie. So no, he um he uh, he's done a lot of stuff, and he uh, he had that Twilight period where like he was just popping up in every direct to to DVD movie for like a good like from Devil's Rejects on. He yeah. was in from Devil's Rejects like I'd say from 2007 up until about 2014. He was in a lot of stuff. And again, that's probably a lot of it like the Eugene Levy. Like yeah. let's just get his name on I'll the box. I'll give you five thousand dollars. Show up for a day. Yeah. He does a day. And you know what? That's that's fine. I didn't. I didn't like. Like I, I think the one movie of his that I saw from that period was uh, um, the Night of the Living Dead 3D version remake that they did because they did another remake in 3D, and it was almost meta because it started off with them watching the original Night of the Living Dead, <laughs> and it turns out that like they're all in like a, a funeral home where he even says like it started off with a twitch here, a twitch there. Doesn't really make any sense. Um, and what was he? The last I think great film he appeared in was uh, Craig or S. Craig Zoller's um, Bone Tomahawk. Oh, that's he was right. in the start of that, that film. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, and I still haven't seen that. It's good. It's good. No, me neither. Yeah, I'd say uh, if you if you if you're interested in like modern 
filmmaking, watch S. Craig Zoller's films, uh, Bone Tomahawk and Brawl and Soapbox 99, and then just don't ever watch yeah, Drag Across Concrete. Like his, uh, his, uh... His, his decision, like, you know what? I'm just going to go full racist this one. This one. Not so good. And cast Mel Gibson. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, anyway, so... So back to so, the yeah, movie we were, were on the Rob Zombie period. He did two movies, none of which were critically well-received. Yeah, and then we had the 28th... And I don't think they did well financially. They they did, but they didn't do amazing. So okay. the, the most recent Halloween movie... They were, they were. They were really scuzzy, gross, depressing films. Well, that's the thing. Like That was also like that decade. Like The first decade... Like, of wow, the tw- this isn't fun to watch. Hooray. Yeah, the first decade of the 21st century was dirty. Like, yeah. I was having a conversation with an old friend of mine from university where we were discussing, like... The Hills Have Eyes remake, which was I like, I still like. I still like that one, yeah. though. That one's scuzzy, but it's a good scuzzy. I guess um, it's like, yeah, we'll make this movie for $10 million and it'll make $20 million. Good enough. Yeah, well, I mean, it made, like... I think it made more, like... 60 million or 70 million sure yeah but the new halloween movie which they made for like i think maybe like around 5 million it made like 200 million dollars like it did really really well and that's why they're doing halloween kills and halloween ends um the two back-to-back sequels that that uh blumhouse uh, yeah well it's it's really ryan turk the the producer ryan turk that like shepherded all that together and ryan turk is such a good good human being um it's hard to say that about a lot of people in hollywood but he's he's one of the better ones um I've been reading his stuff since I was a teenager because he used to write for bloodydisgusting.com. Oh, yeah. Where he went under the pen name of Ryan Rotten, which he has since tried to run away from. No, embrace it. Um, but back to Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. It didn't do great financially. Like, I'm going to look up what it actually made right Broke now. even, I guess. Uh, let me take a look here. So, uh, you know what? It actually made three times as money. So, it was oh, wow. okay. budgeted for $5 million, and it made $15.1 million. So, that's pretty decent when you compare it to, let's see, Halloween that's 5. That's for, like, pre-Scream horror in the 90s. Yeah, and that's that's why I want to focus on, like, mid-90s horror before Scream, to a degree. And I think probably Scream will be our last film, because... Mm. Uh, we'll watch next week is going to be uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre the Next Generation. Then after that, we're going to do Freddy's Dead the Final Nightmare, and then finally um, Scream because Scream was kind of like the thing that kind of resurrected horror in the '90s. So yeah, the first one actually, the last one before this, Halloween Five, was made for between five to six million dollars, and it made roughly around twelve million dollars. So okay. it's not that far off. Um, and then Halloween H two O, the follow up to that. And we don't really focus on box office, but it's just interesting because all of these movies are released during our lifetime. Most of the movies we watched, we never heard of or were released before we were born. So or we were like two when it came out. And you know what? Halloween H2O didn't do that great. I mean, it, it, it cost $17 million to make, and then it brought in $55 million U.S., Okay, so yeah. if you compare that to, and that's in, and that's in, granted, that's in 1998 dollars. So the 17 million is probably like 35 million now, and the 55 is probably like sure. 95. So if we look at Halloween 2018, because I think that was like a modest success at the time. It was probably like number one at the box office. Mm-hmm. They bought, they bought the opening. Yeah. So yeah, so Halloween 2018 made for 10 million dollars in 2018 dollars, and made 255 million dollars. Great. Good stuff, and it was a good film. And the interesting thing about Halloween 2018 is that I wondered why they were rebooting and erasing everything, even up to Halloween 2, so it's a sequel to directly the first Halloween from 1978. And then I realized, oh, because now it's scary again. Now there's no plot. There's no Thorn, of course, but not even is there no Thorn. They're not related. There's no link between Jamie and Michael Myers. It was just a crazy thing that she experienced 40 years earlier. I like in the film, uh, they're always like, no, that's a stupid rumor. That's not his sister. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It was just, and that's what happens. I do have to say that's what happens when real life crimes and tragedies occur where people try and rationalize like, well, what's the link? Like there has to be something that unites these people as opposed to reality where it's just random, sadly random violence. So, Phil, what are your final thoughts on Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers? The producer's cut. Uh, the producer's cut. You look very tired as well. Yeah, I'm also pretty tired. Um, yeah, I was up pretty early. Uh, this movie's a whole lot of nonsense, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's not fun. It's not suspenseful. It's There aren't really any good kills. It's just kind of... Yeah, well, this is before, like, the, the this is, like, again, that, that kind of weird dead zone between the 80s and the Scream mm. kickoff when the kills weren't really... And I, and I hate saying mm. the kills because... It's, I know, yeah. We it's, live in such sounds, a weird world, and I just it listen... It sounds very sociopathic. And, but, but that's what you go there for the... I think you mean to say the thrills weren't really there. Sure, yeah. yes. Need some sexy kills in there as... Uh, some sexy thrills, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Phil, any other final thoughts on Halloween 6 the Chris Michael Myers, the, director, the producer's cut? Not terribly, but it's, yeah, because, uh, you know what, like, you're getting so much plot, you're getting so much plot to mm-hmm. the point it's where it's... It's very plot just, heavy. ...that it's just pretty tedious, whereas, like, you watch a slasher movie and you're expecting some sort of suspense, some sort of mm-hmm. atmosphere and... Well, how I feel... The, of, yeah. Thrills. Mm-hmm. Well, how I feel about it is that it's like they backed themselves into the cor- into a corner by having to be a sequel to Halloween Five. Mm-hmm. And in Halloween yeah. Five, that's when they first introduced like the Curse of the Thorn. And now mm-hmm. they're like, okay, so how do we keep this going? We've lost every single original tie to the series. <laughs> how do we keep this going? We gotta qu- like quadruple down on this Thorn stuff because this will be the thing that saves us and keeps us making Halloween movies into the year 2000. Didn't they, like, weren't they reading comic books back then? You could just start No, because no like, 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 like with back Jason then. movies, you, you, I have love like Jason. Five, you have like five mm-hmm. minutes of setup and then off And then it's go time. Yeah, yeah. It's go time, yeah. Well, well, that's the thing is like, again, like for Halloween having such a great starting point with the first film in 1978, like, with Friday the 13th, I'd argue the first film is not the best. It's like, it wasn't really until, like, like all the films have kind of their charm up until Jason Two's Goes fun. to Hell. Two is fun. Three is fun. Four is great. Five is a different kind of good. Six is super fun. Seven is super fun. Eight is goofy. But, like, they are something that evolved along the way. Mm-hmm. And, like, by the time Halloween 4 came out in 1988, like, they were playing catch-up hard. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you can't just do the same, like, it's it's a whole different world now. Yeah, and also the anthology concept was ill-conceived to begin with. But it did produce a really good film in Halloween 3. Yeah, that's, I'd that's say true. Out of the Halloween movies, Halloween if 1 is Halloween the best. If it was Halloween 2, it would be yeah. okay. But if you put in your mm-hmm. title movie really Halloween 3 when you've already had two yeah, movies. Yeah, people, people weren't ready for it. No. I, I liked Halloween 2, though, as well. Halloween, Halloween 1, 2, and 3 are, are solid. And then 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, the <laughs> remakes are not so good. Yeah. It's a very spotty series, whereas how whereas Friday the Thirteenth is kind of consistent in its, it's it's like it it averages good but not great. Um, any other? That's it, Phil. That's basically it. Cool. Yeah. Kit, what are your final thoughts on Halloween Six: The Curse of Michael Myers, the producer's cut? Well, I'm just looking into Joe Chappelle's uh, filmography. Who's Joe Chappelle? He's the director of this film. Oh, I thought you mean <laughs> Joe Chappell. Yes. Oh, is he pronounces his name I, I don't, Chappell. I don't know. How is Joe Chappelle doing? I ass- oh, did he direct he, the Chappelle he show? Went, he did not. The TV. Yeah, he went uh, afterwards. Not a lot. Uh, Dean Koontz's Phantoms. Uh, came oh out my god. Joint. Yeah. Uh, yeah something with. Ben Affleck was the. 
Bomb and Phantoms, yo. It's a little callback to James Bond. Oh, the Skulls back. Two. The Skulls Ooh, Two. The Skulls Two. Direct uh, to video goodness. Yeah. yeah. And then he went uh, deep into TV, including mm-hmm. uh, directing episodes of The Wire, CSI Miami, Fringe. Yeah. So. Well, you know, he's a working guy. The scenes all kind of, kind of ge- geographically make sense. Yeah, anyway, that's true. Yeah. Uh, what did I think of the film? It's <laughs> uh, the greatest tagline for a movie ever. The scenes geographically make sense. <laughs> Halloween mm. ten. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. I'm kind of more towards uh, Phil's way of thinking, where it's like, um, it didn't make any sense. I'm of the opinion that I think the theatrical cut is better because they take out all the nonsense. Seen it yet though, and. Even if it didn't make sense, as long as it gets to the kills faster and focuses on that, uh, it's there were probably two kills within film. the first ten minutes of this film. That's Phil true. Out. Yeah, yeah, and then mm-hmm. uh, kind of a lull for a while, but you yeah. got to build some uh, tension, some drama. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think just too much plot. Trying to over-explain, trying to explain mm-hmm. that much. It's just like it doesn't need it, man. I get it. He's a homicidal maniac. He's going to go around. He's a bit supernatural. He's hard to kill. <laughs> okay. Um. And that's it? Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's uh, fun seeing uh, Phil Rudd and the, um, the initial... Phil Rudd? Phil Rudd. Phil Rudd. Phil Rudd. was a member of ACDC. <laughs> Phil Rudd. Oh. Very surprising seeing this 50-year-old man playing 20-something-year-old Tommy Do- Doyle. Did this MFR say Phil Rudd? Um, <laughs> uh, Paul Rudd. Uh, yeah. Fun seeing him in a, uh, a weird role. He's not good at drama. Obviously, it's, uh, <laughs> he found, found his wheelhouse with... Um, comedy mm-hmm. uh, he's decent at that um and like the the voice man was initially kind of creepy like they had a creepy yeah. vibe going there mm-hmm. uh and that's about it okay uh my final thoughts um i don't know like the fun the thing is when i saw halloween 6 when i was in high school i'm like this movie makes no sense it's weird it doesn't i don't get it and then i watched this the producer's cut like a year ago when i got the blu-ray and i'm like oh this kind of makes sense now and also the the difference between the it it brings back the classic Halloween theme like as we pointed out the the score for the producer's cut was done by Alan Horvath, Horvath who did um who worked with, directly with John Carpenter so there's like a lot of connections there it's a bit more of a classical Halloween score as opposed to the industrial metal like industrial yeah. metal like uh Halloween 6 score that's in the theatrical cut. Yeah, they were trying to make it like a 90s David Fincher film, but imagine 90s David Fincher really did direct that. Doing Halloween? Yeah. Oh, but it would be it would be not what you're expecting. It would be yeah. like Michael Myers without the mask just sitting in a coffee shop <laughs> contemplating the banalities of life. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I feel that I like it more now just because it's something from the 90s, whereas like when I saw it in the 90s, I was way more critical of it. I've definitely seen better Halloween films. I've also seen worse ones. Like, Fair. I mean, I have to say the Rob Zombie Halloween films, like, and I, I appreciate Rob Zombie. I like Zombie. this better than those. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, like, was listening to Dragula on a Halloween playlist earlier today. Like, I still appreciate Rob Zombie's aesthetic to a degree, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, not 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 in, not in the Halloween films, but, like, in the House of a Thousand Corpses, I still think was aesthetic craziness. And his music videos, which are very much combining elements of the 60s, like, spook yeah, show. Like th- House of a Thousand Corpses is the funnest to watch in that series. It's the only fun one to watch. Because yeah. uh, Devil's Rejects is just doom it's, and gloom. Yeah, it's, it's and, awful. And it's, awful uh, sexual violence. Yeah. Um, and Shock like, horror, And basically. Devil's Rejects, or sorry, and House of a Thousand Corpses is a fun kaleidoscope. Like, they use the Ramones. They use um, uh, a bunch of different random and like it has that great cover of Brick House by uh, yeah that's true it ends with a uh, on Brick House yeah nice. the Rob Zombie Lionel Richie collaboration on Brick House nice 
you know what? Like with the first Rob Zombie Halloween, I did not like the setup of yeah. the origin story of like sort of humanizing Michael Myers. Yeah. But he the, is second a half, the second half of the first Rob it's Zombie just, Halloween. It's, it's a quick rush through of the original Halloween. Like, it's let's a quick just... rush through, but I thought it was pretty well executed. Like there was mm. a, it sustained enough terror, okay. I guess. So I can defend it to that extent. And, and then... it featured the Misfits Halloween too. Yeah. That song. Yeah. That, that's a good version of Halloween. Mm. And Halloween 2 has its sporadic charms like the Weird Al cameo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That is the best part of that film. My favorite part and of Halloween. It's, uh, it's like faux grindhouse mm-hmm. aesthetic. Like visually, it's muddiness. Yeah. Kind of looks well, good. Well, the interesting thing is that Rob Zombie thought his first Halloween looked too clean because they shot it on 35 millimeters. So for Halloween 2, they shot it, it on 16, 16 yeah. millimeter to get some grittiness to it. Um, and I, the thing and I love Malcolm best, McDowell yeah. like hams it big time in the second one. Whereas in the oh, first he's full one, on. Yeah. Whereas in the first one, he really underplays it. And in the second one, he just, you need to give him some cheese to go with that ham. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. Um, my favorite part of Halloween 2, the Rob Zombie remake, was at the end when they played Laurie Strode's theme from the original Halloween as they, like, yeah. like as they, like, did a slow dolly out on, um, the actress that played Laurie Strode in the remake. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's your favorite part of that. And the second yeah. ends. <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. no, no, the second well, Halloween the, had like a, a pretty awesome soundtrack. There was like Void and like Diamond Head and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. He kind of, yeah. I don't know. It's, you I guys think, are really making me rethink these Rob Zombie no, Halloween No, no. I just, I, I feel that like Rob Zombie was a they're rock. Not, they're not good, but they have their they have, they have yeah. here and yeah. there. It's like a Jesus Franco film. Like every now and then you're like, oh, that's a cool scene. But then mostly not. Um, so my final thoughts on Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, because we've been recording for a long, long time. I was hoping this one would be a shorter episode for me to edit. Um, uh, I have nostalgia for the 90s, um, but on the whole, I don't think it's a good starting off point if you're going to like watch these movies. <laughs> um, I think, Luckily, I've seen other Halloweens. I know they get better. I think watch Halloween, the original one from 78, watch Halloween from 2018. If you want to go deeper, watch Halloween 2. Watch Halloween three for sure. It's a fun film, and watch Halloween four because it's it's not that bad. It's a it's a Friday the Thirteenth knockoff with the Halloween trappings up, upon it. Which is funny because Friday the Thirteenth is basically a Halloween knockoff. Well, I, the second one is. Yes. The first one's a different. The first piece. Friday the Thirteenth, I'd say, is more of a knockoff yeah. of Mario Bava's Bay of Blood. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they took they took some more the inspiration from Bob Clark's uh, Black Christmas with the POVs, which we'll be watching during our Christmas. Oh, uh, we are going to watch Black yeah. Christmas. I'm excited. And we're also going to watch Black Xmas, the remake from the oh, early wow. 2000s. We will not be watching the current 2019 remake because that looks Night, bad. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, no, there's a new remake of Black Xmas. And it looks right. bad. It actually Eesh. looks like they took inspiration from Halloween Part 6 because there's a cult involved. Eesh. Yeah. Gotta put some cults in there. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, we'll be, at, be back next week, hopefully, with um, our next episode on... The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, starring Matthew McConaughey and oh, Renee yeah. Zellweger, which was held up by C- uh, creative artists uh, something. Was that the one with the uh, the big chainsaw It stays in the family uh, on no, the cover? No, that's, that's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, Leatherface, which uh, is a great film. I wanted to show it, but I realized... The curse of Leatherface. <laughs> but I realized that that film is actually from 1990, and it's too early in the in the decade. But That is part of the decade. I know, but it was shot in 89, so I'm not counting it. So That's the tone of the decade. <laughs> Not when you watch Return of the <laughs> Next Generation. Anyways, for Death by Video, I've been Phil. 
I have been Kit. And I'm still Graham saying, please be sure to rewind. We'll see you next time. Keep watching amazing movies. Good night. I'm your